Hello everyone, it's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. So uh, the pugs are a little jacked up today because we are dog sitting. Yes, we have a champ in the house. Yeah, champ is a uh, very, very large male black lab and he is uh he's our house guest for the week yeah he's seriously a hundred pounds he weighs a hundred a hundred pounds more than our pugs do combined yeah and he is a delight he's so much better behaved than our dogs it's uh it's concerning <laughs> like you don't always notice how crappy your children or your animals <laughs> behave until it's like compared to other people's yeah. animals or children and you're like oh oh that's what it could be like huh huh one issue with uh, with Champ is that since it is spring and things are thawing, tis the time. Yes, of dog poop. Yep, thawing dog poop, poop that's been collecting in our yard for for months now. Uh, the snow is is pretty much dissipated, and now we just have an entire yard full of soggy dog poop. And Champ, weighing as much as he does, being as big as he is, with feet that look like snowshoes, mm-hmm. is very good at collecting mushy dog poop between his pause and then tracking it all over the clean kitchen floor that I just steam mopped. You do a great job. Um, it's the key to spring. Like that's how you know in in this glorious state of ours when warmer times are on the way. It, everything smells like dog shit. And all the roads are full of potholes. Ma- yeah. Maybe we could take the dog poop and use it to fill the potholes. That's an excellent idea. I think I might be onto something. <laughs> Anyway, today it's your turn to go first. I'm so excited. I've watched you work on this all day. Oh, yes. You should be excited because this is fucking awful. Yay for awful. No. No? No. It's not even like enjoyable awful. It's just awful. It's awful. Okay. I do want to, and I I'm, I realize that I've said that it's, this is awful, Yeah. but I do want to kind of uh, set this up and let you know that this may not be a story that you want to hear. It is legitimately terrible and uh, might have some 
trigger issues in it and Ooh. there's not it's not good <laughs> okay um you've piqued my interest now you ta- you sound too gleeful about this i'm just excited to hear you hear you speak is is what i'm saying okay okay so elizia samujo she was a model in brazil i don't know that much else about her um it's really unfortunate um as we get into this we'll talk a little more about it but really i know that she was a model and i do know that she went to a party in may of 2009 that was organized by a brazilian football player whose name was paulo victor now of course brazilian football is what we call soccer um so i will use those terms interchangeably because I understand. You know. Yeah. The, uh, yeah. Please forgive us. Please. <laughs> we still haven't figured out that soccer is called football. I'm confused. So Eliza went to this party. Eliza had a thing for soccer players. Uh, she was previously uh, noted to have possibly been in a relationship with Cristiano Ronaldo. And at this party, she met Bruno Fernandez das Dores de Souza. Everyone calls him Bruno. Okay. And Bruno's married. He has two kids. He and other players regularly attend these sex parties where, as a source close to the club put it, beautiful women would volunteer to have sex with these soccer players without commitment. So they're soccer groupies. They're soccer groupies, and these are uh, like day-long orgies, basically, that that take place, uh, that are hosted by these soccer players. But I've... They must have been exhausted, those soccer players. After sex parties or... Both. Okay, you're, you're playing soccer. Mm-hmm. That's exhausting. Sure. Even for somebody who is in good shape. And oh. then you go to a day-long sex party. I know. I, I don't know how they found the energy. But at this party where uh, Bruno and Elisa met, three months later... She's pregnant. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were reports that they were attempting to have a protected sex, but the condom broke. Something happened. Either way, she ended up pregnant. And Bruno demanded that she get an abortion, but she refused. In October of 2009, during her pregnancy, Eliza went to the police claiming that she had been kidnapped by two of Bruno's friends who forced her to take an illegal drug, which would induce a miscarriage. And it did not work. Champ farted. <coughs> oh, no. <laughs> He's it's lying really bad. right at your feet. It's really bad. Oh, no. Oh, my God. Your eyes are literally watering. Her eyes are watering, you guys. Oh, it's bad. Oh, my God. That's bad. Right? Oh, lab farts are the worst honest to god do we have any here what is it essential oil (laughs) as long as it's not dog fart i'm I'm happy with whatever my arm there we go oh that's relaxing okay good okay all is well so the drug didn't work Uh and it's february 2010 and eliza gives birth to bruninho which Mm. means little bruno okay uh, DNA tests showed that the baby was Bruno's and Eliza filed a paternity suit against him. Um, 
At this point in Bruno's career, he has uh, a deal in the works uh, for big money with a big club, and uh, he is very concerned, apparently, that he's going to have to pay to support this baby. He didn't want to, and I think because he had tried to talk her into an abortion, he felt like he shouldn't have to pay her. Okay. Four months after he was born... Little Bruno was found abandoned in a slum district in southeast Brazil. Some sources say that he was actually found with Bruno's wife, but that can't be mm. confirmed. Um, Elisa was missing. Really? Of course, friends and family said that she would never abandon her baby and uh, that this you know, was kind of her, her life. So it didn't make any sense at all. They were immediately very concerned about her safety. Police took Bruno in for questioning, and he told them that Elisa had left the country. Mm. A search of Bruno's car, though, found bloodstains and a pair of sandals and women's sunglasses. Uh, still, he insisted in an interview, I pray that Elisa will appear, and when that happens, if I am the father, I will fight for guardianship because I don't believe in leaving a child. I have a clear conscience. So while police are investigating her disappearance... Bruno was charged over her initial claims of being abducted, abducted by his two friends during her pregnancy. And Bruno was sentenced to four and a half years in jail no for shit. initiating this kidnapping. Whoa. So her claims of his being violent and uh, obviously believing that he should get his way no matter what uh, were founded. So he's sentenced to four and a half years in jail. And then his 17-year-old cousin comes out, tells police that he had information, that he had taken part in Elisa's abduction with his friend. Are you talking about the abduction where they tried to force her to take that drug? No. Okay. This is a new abduction. Oh, okay. This is where she had gone. The 17-year-old cousin also said that Elisa was dead, but he didn't say how she had died or where her body was. So at this point, when the cousin comes out and says this, Bruno's football organization suspends his contract and their lawyers don't represent him in court anymore. But he's already in prison for four years, right? That's right. Okay. So, but, but his football club was trying to get him out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. His lawyer, though, still working to portray him as this hero sports guy. Um, he's insisting on his innocence. He says he'll be in the World Cup finale uh, against Argentina. It will end 0-0. Who will take the penalty? The world's greatest player, Messi. And who will save it and lift the trophy for 200 million Brazilians? Bruno, okay. this is his biggest dream. Okay. Yeah. This is how he speaks about his client who uh, is being investigated for the potentially murdering his girlfriend. Wow. There's a real problem with how this is all being portrayed in the papers, how um, the football organizations are addressing these allegations. It's problematic for sure. On one hand, there's spin Mm. On the other hand, there's spinning out of control. For sure. So the soccer club dipping out at this point, a real good choice. Because according to police, Bruno's teenage cousin started really talking. And this is what had happened. Aliza had been lured into a car on the promise that Bruno was going to agree to give her an apartment and the maintenance pay that she wanted. Um, instead, she was pistol whipped and driven with her baby to Bruno's home. 
Oh, my God. And, and how old was the child at this point? Just an infant. Four months old. Four months. Okay. There she was strapped into a chair and uh, multiple people, including Bruno's wife, another former lover, his teenage cousin, and a former police officer, Marco Santos, beat her for six days. Holy shit. While she's strapped to a chair in Bruno's home. In his house. It is alleged that Bruno watched as Santos committed barbaric tortures on the victim, uh, playing loud music to drown out her screaming, and before he eventually strangled her with a tie. After six days. After six days. What, what was the point of that? I understand his motive for wanting her out of his life. I certainly don't condone it, not. but I understand that motive. Mm-hmm. Why torture her for six days first? That's People ins- are disgusting. That's insane. This is fucking awful. I know. Why didn't you tell me? According to The Sun, investigating detective Edson Moriera said his acts were almost impossible to describe without breaking down images from the worst nightmare you could possibly imagine. Then she's dead and her body was chopped up <gasps> into little bitty bits and fed to Bruno's Rottweilers. No. No. All that's left were the bones, and they took those bones and laid them under concrete. Whoa. The murder allegedly happened with baby Bruno in the room. Holy shit. At four months old. After protesting his innocence, Bruno finally broke down in court and confessed to his part in the plot. He said that he hadn't made the order to kill her, but that he had accepted it and he knew that she had been killed. Of course. But he was there. Everyone else said that, yes, he was there. He saw what was happening. He was he didn't actually kill her, but he was more than aware of what was happening. Okay. The gang who tortured Elisa received sentences of between 5 and 22 years. Uh, Bruno was sentenced to 22 years and 3 months. Wow. So it's February 2017. There's more? After Fernandez has served just 6 years and 7 months of his prison sentence, his lawyers filed a petition of habeas corpus because of the slow process of an appeals request. So they were trying to appeal the judgment or the ruling and uh, it was going slowly. So they argued that he should be able to be free while they're appealing. This yeah. would be very, very bad. Right? Did they do it? A Supreme Court justice upheld no. his lawyer's request to no. release him no. with 15 years still left to serve so that he could await the outcome of his appeal outside. And uh, a video surfaced immediately where uh, he is celebrating with family and friends, giving a thumbs up to the camera, sure, you know, yeah. doing his thing. Right. And immediately he received a number of contract offers from various soccer clubs oh my god oh my god one of which he accepted from boa esporte club now i don't have to tell you how fucked up this is and how unreasonably common this kind of behavior is maybe not as cut and dry as this guy was convicted um, and now you are rehiring him to play but there are so many instances in the states where it's like this sports person uh, there's video of him abusing his girlfriend and yet people still wear his jerseys and yet people still uh, you know have him play on their sport team Um, so 
Brazil's pretty pissed off at this point, but only some of Brazil because, you know, there's also like soccer fans. Sure, who, sure. You know. And I hear from some of our friends outside the United States that the World Cup's a big deal. Mm, for sure. So Elise's mother, who now has custody of little Bruno, right. um, is actually filing a complaint because she's concerned about the safety of her grandson. If uh, Bruno, who killed this baby's mom, right. is out and about, who's to say that, that this baby is safe? Um, of course, that was denied. Now, the uh, football club president confirmed the controversial decision to allow Bruno to sign a contract while technically uh, still convicted uh, sort of serving for murder mm-hmm. and this is what he had to say we want to give an opportunity to the man bruno for him it is a chance to return to play to the club he is an athlete who can strengthen the team and it's a great way to invest on our social side so he looked at it as a an opportunity to do something good for the community all right um I look at it differently. Yeah. But yeah, so would any normal person. I think so. Bruno told a Brazilian TV interviewer, and please forgive me if I vomit while I read this. All right. I want to make it clear that even if I stayed here and I was given life imprisonment, for example, it wouldn't bring the victim back. I paid dearly. It was not easy. This will help me as an experience. It has been an experience, not a punishment. Okay. Um... Sure, make lemonade. I get that. Don't stir the lemonade with the bones of the woman you murdered. Unbelievable. And by the way, did they ever recover her remains? No. They didn't. Okay. In April of 2017, Brazil's Supreme Court ordered Bruno's re-arrest because the defense's legal team themselves were partly to blame for the delays in his appeal. So they had said Uh, he needs to be released because this appeal is taking too long. But really, the appeal was taking a really long time because of what they were doing. So uh, he was re-arrested and is currently uh, imprisoned in Brazil. And the child is okay. The child is okay. He's got he's eight or nine now. Wow. And living with his grandmother. She has told him that his dad is in prison, but she hasn't told him mm. why. Mm. And she's hoping that she can kind of keep that from him for a period of time. But I don't how? see how? I don't see how as he starts growing and I don't see how that's well, gonna he, be possible. Is he going to school? Does he interact uh, with people? I don't know the answers I mean, to this. Everybody but must know. Everyone knows because this this guy Bruno was like a like a national treasure. I right. mean, people were nuts about him. The amount of glorification of who he was and what he did, even in the articles that spoke about him confessing to murder, was vile. Mm. One of the articles speaking to his actual confession called him the brilliant goalkeeper you know it's just it's horrendous and it's not just brazil and it's not just south america and it's not just soccer it's a real problem that people with money and influence or people who can do something for us in some way Mm -hmm. get get treated so differently and that's really true especially when you like there are certain places and certain groups that see women as more disposable than others wow you're right that was horrifying awful but at least he's back in jail now 
And um, they should find this poor woman's bones and give her a proper burial. I agree. At least for the sake of her family. My God. I think uh, more importantly, don't let him out. Yeah, that, that too. Would, that would be my yeah. my my hopes and dreams. Anyway, I'd not heard of that before, and uh, I'm shocked that I hadn't because apparently it was a really big story, uh, and I missed it. There's a reason you didn't hear this at the start of the podcast. This is that thing in the middle. In June of 2013, a guy in Auckland, New Zealand, named Tom Stillwell was coming home from a night of partying with his friends when he realized he had left his keys to his apartment at his friend's house. Well, his friends headed back to get his keys, but Tom, being impatient, thought, you know, my apartment is only 14 floors up. Maybe I can swing down from my upstairs neighbor's balcony. So he knocked on his neighbor's door, who let him in thinking Tom wasn't serious. Well, Tom was serious and he slipped and fell 15 stories and through the roof of an adjacent building. Miraculously, Tom not only survived, but ended up with just minor injuries. His friends, by the way, showed up with his keys just as he was falling. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids and they live about 3,000 miles away, and my daughter is expecting a child, and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life, Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura Frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout and you will save thanks aura frames for bringing my family a little bit closer this message is sponsored by green light you know as your kids get older there are some things about parenting that gets easier i remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece if you put your pants on i'll give you some fresca and when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right it's a lot easier to manage them Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. 
when I was a kid, I had expected chores and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? (sighs) Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parenting kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. This podcast may be produced by a giant, faceless, sterile media empire, but damn, you should see our employee gift shop and cafeteria. This is the Box of Oddities. So you're familiar with um, Cat Sketch? Well, yes. Cat Sketch, uh, the makeup artist, right? That's right. She does a lot of stuff. She's got uh, quite a a YouTube following and uh, she does some really cool videos. And one of the uh, photos that she posted on Instagram was uh, just incredible. It was a compilation of like Disney villains makeup that she had done. So it's her as Ursula and her as uh, Cruella DeVille uh-huh. and her. I mean, it's just it's so cool and so much fun. And so we follow Cat Sketch on Instagram. And I saw this picture and I couldn't not comment on it. And I was like, this is so much fun. This is amazing. And she wrote back and she was Whoa. like, oh, my what? gosh, thanks. I love your podcast. Why and, didn't you tell me that? Ah, Does she listen to the podcast? She listens to the podcast. Shut up. That's awesome. Isn't that cool? Can I see that? Yeah. There was actually an unboxing video of the makeup that she used for this, too, and it's so much fun. (laughs) That's awesome. You know, I've mentioned in the past that uh, when I was really young, like five, six, seven years old, I was really sick. I was sick a number of different times. Came close to death two different times, two different uh, medical conditions. You're a delicate little bird. Uh, yes. You're my rara avis. And growing up in northern Maine when I was a child, most of the medical facilities up there were really dated. They were log cabins. Well, They treated you with maple syrup. No, you know when you think of like... Force-fed uh, potatoes. The, like the movie... Uh, one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Of course. It was set in a, in a hospital that was clearly built like in the 40s or the 30s. And it, it, it just very sterile and and green. You yeah. Know? Um, that was the way that the hospitals in northern Maine were back then. They were very 1940s. And a lot of the technology was still there from the 19. 19- I remember when I had my tonsils out, they gave me ether. Oh, my gosh. You know? Yeah. Well, when we were on our honeymoon and we went to the um, Smithsonian, the uh, American History Museum, they had a a display about like outdated medicine, basically. And you were like, hey, that's just like one of the things from when I was in the hospital. (laughs) Yeah. Like old x-ray equipment. (laughs) Right. A lot of the equipment was still from the 40s. Yeah. And I've always been really interested in medical treatments and the state of the art of medicine in the 30s and the 40s and the 50s and in through that period. I almost did 
a medical story today. You did? Yes. I'm so glad I changed my mind, but I think that's probably what I'm doing next week. So, I mean, prepare it's, yourself. It's not not for electroshock therapy, is it? It's not. Okay, good, because that's what I'm going to talk about okay. today. Okay. Or electroconvulsive therapy, which is what they Sounds call it nice. today. Sure. As early as the 16th century, according to Wikipedia, agents would induce seizures to treat psychiatric conditions, mm-hmm. not with electricity, but they would use other methods to induce seizures. In 1785, the therapeutic use of seizure induction was documented. That's pretty early in the history of electricity. One claim has it as 1744 being the dawn of electricity's therapeutic use. And that was documented in the first issue of Electricity and Medicine, a journal of sorts. But why? Explain yourself. Ben Franklin wrote uh, that an electrostatic machine cured, quote, a woman of hysterical fits. Oh, geez. Really? Again? Yeah. So, you know, if you get a little moody during your period, Mm -hmm. we're going to hook you up to some high voltage. In 1801, Giovanni Aldini, we've talked about him, galvanism. He was (laughs) the guy that uh, tried to bring people back to life using electroshocks right. and so Frankenstein that, style Frankenstein kind of thing and his experiments played into more research in convulsive therapy induced by electricity in the second half of the 19th century such efforts were uh, were made mostly in British asylums they were they were experimenting on patients in in asylums in Britain yeah but in a very rudimentary way <laughs> Isn't it all? I <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Initially, they thought it would be good for patients who had schizophrenia, epilepsy as well, too, which is interesting. You want to cure people who have epilepsy by inducing seizures and convulsions. That mm. doesn't sound smart to me. Anyway, in 1937, the first international meeting of the convulsive therapy was held in Switzerland by a Swiss psychiatrist whose name was Muller. Uh, The proceedings were published in the American Journal of Psychology. Within three years, convulsive therapy was being used worldwide. So people latched on to this pretty quickly and uh, just just move forward with it. Oh, oh, this works. Okay, cool. An Italian professor of neuropsychiatry, Ugo Cerletti, had uh, been using electroshocks to produce seizures in animals at this point. Yeah. And his colleague, Lucio Bini, developed the idea of using electricity. So in 1938, they experimented for the first time on a person. Sir Letty had noted that a shock to the head produced convulsions in dogs. And so the idea to use electroshock on humans came to uh, Sir Letty. He thought, yeah, that's the next thing we need to do. They got to the point where they thought that uh, they had the right parameters for a successful human trial. They were both nominated for a Nobel Prize. They did not receive the prize. By 1940, the procedure was introduced to both England and the U.S. In Germany and Australia, it was promoted by Friedrich Megendorfer. Uh, Through the 40s and 50s, the use of ECT became very widespread. Now, here are some lesser, more disturbing uh, things that they don't really tell you too much about when it comes to the early days of electroshock therapy. And I'm going to warn you, this a lot of this is uh, is disturbing. Um, oh, should I act gleeful about it? I didn't know. I told you. Yeah, you did. Where did the idea to use electrostatic shock on animals come from? Ugo Cerletti watched pigs being electrocuted in a slaughterhouse. The goal was to stun the pigs 
in order to make it easier for their throats to be slit before being harvested for meat. Sir Letty and his colleague experimented on animals with different devices. This helped them construct the best procedure for applying electricity directly to the human brain, shocking people for schizophrenia. So yeah, the idea came from a from a pig slaughterhouse. So many great ideas do. It's really the bastion of some of the greatest creative minds ever, pig slaughterhouses. Mm. I always thought that would be a good name for a lion to the dying album, Slaughterhouse Runoff. Oh yeah, yeah, well, that's good. That would work. Here's another weird thing. Ugo Cerletti neglected to get permission before administering electroshock therapy to the first human test subject in Uh. 1938. I guess he didn't feel it was necessary. Sure, no. The subject was schizophrenic, and upon receiving his first shock, he proclaimed, Not again, it will kill me. But he said it in, like, Italian. And I'm not going to try to. No, no. Despite the subject's plea, Mm -hmm. Sir Letty delivered another shock. Of course. Of a higher voltage, according to Ranker, for a longer amount of time. When asked what happened to him after the second shock, the man calmly replied, I don't know. Perhaps I've been asleep. Essentially, he was using that man as a test subject also. Yeah. Which, again, just shows you how out of whack the uh, mindset was when looking at people with mental illness, it is disturbing. And they had about as much rights as pigs in a slaughterhouse. Pretty much. Hans Wilhelm Koenig, an SS doctor at Auschwitz, regularly experimented with electroshock therapy on, quote, schizoid male inmates, as well as female inmates brought to Auschwitz from Birkenau which was just a few miles away. It was believed that uh, women prisoners from Birkenau were usually gassed after being subjected to several shock experiments. Holy shit. The next disturbing fact, um, when it was first introduced, there was no anesthesia used or any muscle relaxers. Patients would simply lie backwards on a bed in a treatment room with electrodes on their heads, and they would put like a, a padded double tongue compressor in their mouth. Mm-hmm. But the patient's convulsions were so violent at times, it was extremely disturbing to patients witnessing the ordeal. They would just do it in the in the ward. It was like it was almost like an outpatient treatment type of deal where they you had to stay at the facility, but they would just come into a ward where there were like eight or ten other people and lie you back on the bed and then just shock the shit out of you. That's awful. Early electroshock treatments took place without the muscle relaxants, as I had mentioned, Mm -hmm. or any other kind of safety measures, except for nurses or attendants nearby restraining the patient's extremities. Now, now because of this, they would flail about so much that they would break bones and and grind their teeth out. Oh, my gosh. Sometimes even spinal fractures occurred from these convulsions and how violent they were. Sure. It's a new, quote, treatment there seemed to be some promise there because Mm -hmm. some people who did suffer with depression seemed to show some improvement Mm -hmm. but when the treatment causes you to break your spine sure that's cause for thought i would think so again sometimes i think that there was such an eagerness to i don't know win to win a Nobel Prize, does that perhaps? does that make sense? Sure. Yeah, like there was just such an eagerness. It didn't matter uh, the the things that went wrong if you could find enough sources where something had gone right. 
then you could say it was worth it. Right. That's the price of, of achievement and advancement. Yeah. Some people are going to have to break their spines. Right. And they were mentally ill anyway. So, meh. Did you ever read The Bell Jar? So, um, Sylvia Plath. Most of it. Yeah. It, it really bummed me out. Yeah. So yeah. I didn't finish it. It's not very lighthearted. No. Um, well, Sylvia Plath was given electroshock therapy after being diagnosed with, uh, with severe depression. Her first session caused her insomnia. And that was on August 24th, back in 1953. She crawled into a cellar beneath her house and swallowed several sleeping pills. And she was discovered two days later and was admitted to a mental institution where she underwent another round of electroshock therapy. The second session... Um, seem- it just seems like that's yeah. not a good choice. No. First one causes depression. You crawl under a house and try to kill yourself. So let's give you another one. However, in, in this case, the second session seemed effective in lifting her depression. And she included the uh, account of her first experience with electroshock therapy in the bell jar, Mm -hmm. in her novel, The Bell Jar. And And this is what it said. Then something bent down and took hold of me and shook me like the end of the world. Wee, 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 it shrilled through an air crackling with blue light. And with each flash, a great jolt drubbed me till I thought my bones would break and the sap fly out of me like a split plant. I wondered what terrible thing it was that I had done. Holy crap. That's awful. She wasn't the only author that underwent electroshock therapy. Ernest Hemingway battled with depression. He underwent 20 sessions of ECT in hopes of curing it. But the memory loss that he, he experienced due to the treatment was too great. He talked about this in a letter to his biographer. He said, quote, What is the sense of ruining my head and erasing my memory, which is my capital, and putting me out of business? It was a brilliant cure, but we lost the patient. Some believe that the electroshock therapy that that Hemingway had experienced led him to suicide, uh, as he did shoot himself within days of undergoing ECT treatments at the Mayo Clinic in Minnesota. I wouldn't be surprised at all. It just seems like the price was too great. Yeah. That too often you're losing more than you're gaining. And it just doesn't, It, I don't know, it just seems so barbaric to me. So the main side effect of electroshock therapy to this day is memory loss. Now, this is this is amazing to me, really. I, I don't profess to be an expert on any of this stuff, but mm-hmm. I had no idea they still did electroconvulsive therapy to this day. Generally, the side effect is it comes in a form of retrograde amnesia and and loss of immediate pretreatment memories. Today's electroconvulsive therapy practices fall on the more cautious side. Sure. When it comes to delivering shocks to the brain, convulsions are controlled with muscle relaxants in order to prevent broken bones and muscle tension. Many physical signs of the electricity passing through the patient's brain, aside from their toes trembling, there are very, very few others. However, due to the body's relaxed state in this modified condition, they have to use higher doses, higher um, voltage Voltage. of electricity in order to successfully induce seizures. Danger, danger. High voltage. High voltage. Now, obviously, there was a lot of backlash, and not surprisingly, part of it was due to the movie One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Sure. 
electroconvulsive therapy has, uh, well, not it doesn't have the best reputation. National institutions reviewed past practices and set new standards. In 2001, the American Psychiatric Association released its latest task force report. This report emphasized the importance of informed consent and the expanded role that the procedure has in modern medicine. In 2017, ECT was routinely covered by insurance companies by providing, quote, the biggest bang for the buck. Oh, my. For otherwise intractable cases of severe mental illness. The World Health Organization in 2005 advised that ECT should only be used with the informed consent of the patient. And in the U.S., this doctrine places legal obligation on the doctor to make sure a patient is aware mm. um, of the treatment. This is really interesting to me because I, I guess I didn't know, I don't know uh, much or anything about modern day ECT. No, you, you always think of like in the 40s yeah, where in these black and white films. That's my only understanding of yeah. it. So I'm really interested to learn more about how it's used today and what what people are seeing as being the benefits to it. I'm trying to trying to be open-minded sure, about this because sure. in my head I'm like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. But, 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 but like I said, I, that's because I am ignorant well, to, to the modern uses yeah, of it. Me, me as well. I didn't, like I said, I didn't even realize they were still doing a form of this nowadays. The informed consent element now is the big, big thing. And in Britain, they did a study of some patients that had had the treatment Mm -hmm. and they said, did you give consent for this? Mm -hmm. And they, one third of them said, I don't remember, or just said, no, I never gave consent for this, but they did sign forms giving consent for it. So that caused all kinds of issues in Britain Wow, because they apparently had given consent because their signature was on paper, but they said that they never did. But is that part of the retrograde amnesia right. probably you know so yeah. i don't know anyway i thought that was interesting it really and truly is and it's amazing what we do to each other in the name of science and we always have and we still today do i'm sure things that we don't even know about in a hundred years from now it'll come to light and people will go well those were different times right it's true i mean there are so many things that we like i was just reading an article uh, the other day about, I think it was a university in Michigan that had just agreed to stop doing pesticide testing on beagles uh, because there was undercover footage that had come out of them force feeding uh, dogs uh, pesticides. And it's it's basically like, you know, forcing Roundup into a beagle and and just see what happens. I mean, you know, the dogs, the plan was to continue feeding them this horrible poison uh, and then do autopsies on them to see how how it affects them. Well, that's Uh, a fun job. Job. Right. It's incredible the things that go on, uh, both with people and with animals that we have no idea yeah. that's going on. Yeah. And we're blind to so much. And it's not well, like in the 50s, the government dosing private citizens right. with LSD. Yeah. Not telling them just going to bars and dropping it in people's drinks to see what would happen. Eh, we'll see. Eh, it's the name of science. <laughs> it's nuts. Any hoozle. That's what I have for you today. I feel like this was a bummer episode. This was a downer of an episode. Yeah. For that, we apologize. Puppies, you want to be on the podcast? This will make everybody feel better. I'm going to go get the dogs off the bed, and we'll bring them over, and they'll snortle in the microphone. And that'll make everybody happy. Come here, Banjo. 
You come too. Come on, buddy. Sounds like my grandfather. <laughs> the box of oddities extrudes from the internet and is snipped off and lands on your phone twice a week. We look forward to hanging out with you guys. You're our freak family. We will see you on Thursday. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. Let's get treats. Let's get treats. And so, let it be known that the box of oddities belongs to you and its fate is in your hands. The Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com On Facebook at Facebook.com slash Box of Oddities Podcast On Twitter at Box of Oddities and Instagram at Box of Oddities Podcast Copyright 2019 All rights reserved If you like this podcast can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts and its name tells part of the story the big picture questions, and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts.